Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. If you have your Bibles tonight, I ask you to just join me in 2 Samuel chapter 8 for our study. You can get the attention of one of the ushers if you don't have a Bible for whatever reason. Um, while you are turning there, uh, a few, a little while ago, um, I, at the recommendation of a friend, um, I took my wife to a restaurant in Yonkers called Texas de Brazil. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been there, but if you are a meat eater, I, there is no place like it. I have never seen more meat in one place uh, cooked and prepared perfectly uh, ever in my life. And it was uh, uh, amazing. You know, best restaurant probably I've ever been to. And, and uh, Georgia enjoyed it too. She's not that much of a meat eater, but that night you either eat meat or you don't eat. And so we ate and, um, and she still talks about to this day um, the run that she went on the next morning. She said that she ran the next day and she felt like she could just fly forever. Like she had more strength running that day than she ever has uh, before or since that time. So I share that just to say that tonight as we go through Second Samuel chapter 8, I am going to lay some meat on you. We are tonight going to get into the meat of the word Texas to Brazil style. I hope you like the meat of the word and I trust that you will be able to run spiritually tomorrow uh, faster than you did today uh, as we do. And so that by just way of prefacing things, uh, I'm going to read the chapter and then we're going to get into it a little bit. Uh, we are studying the life of David. The soundtrack for this story right now is in the major key. The storyline is like Forrest Gump. You don't want it to end. You don't want it to stop. You just, this is the best. He is in the sweet spot of his life. It's inspiring. It's good. Uh, I'm moving a little bit slowly through this, and I think the reason for that is because I really don't want to get to chapter 11. And if you know what happens in chapter 11, you understand why, but secretly I am uh, kind of hoping that when we get there, it'll be different. The chapter 11 will have changed somehow because uh, things begin to unravel uh, for David a little bit at that time, but as we are now, it is not. So let's read chapter 8, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into uh, what God has to say to us tonight through it. It says, verse 1, it says that after this it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methagama out of the hand of the Philistines. And then he smote Moab and measured them with a line, casting them down to the ground, even with two lines measured he to put to death and with one full line to keep alive. So he thinned out the ranks of the Moabites. And so the Moabites became David's servants and brought gifts. David smote also Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to recover his border at the river Euphrates. And David took from him a thousand chariots and 700 horsemen and 20,000 footmen. And David huffed the chariot horses, but he reserved of them for a hundred chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to succor or to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David slew of the Syrians two and 20,000 men. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought gifts. And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were on the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. 
And from Beta and from Barathai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took exceeding much brass. And when Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had smitten all the host of Hadadezer, then Toy sent Joram, his son, unto King David to salute him and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and smitten him. For Hadadezer had wars with Toy. Your enemy's enemy becomes your friend. And Joram brought with him vessels of silver and vessels of gold and vessels of brass, which also King David did dedicate unto the Lord with the silver and gold that he dedicated of all nations which he subdued, of Syria and of Moab and of the children of Ammon and of the Philistines and of Amalek and the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rechab, king of Zobah. And David got him a name when he returned from smiting of the Syrians in the Valley of Salt, being 18,000 men. So David's reputation advances here, even as was foretold by God in the last chapter. And he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons. And all they of Edom became David's servants, and the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. Second time it says that in the chapter. And David reigned over all Israel. And David executed judgment and justice unto all his people. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the host. And Jehoshaphat, the son of Elihud, was recorder. And Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests. And Seriah was the scribe. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over both the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And David's sons were chief rulers or leaders in his realm. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you tonight for your word. We thank you that not one jot or tittle will fade and that not one word is without meaning. And so, Lord, as we take this chapter that was mostly David's exploits and accomplishments during the time that he was established as king, we ask, Lord, that you would apply it to us in a profoundly personal, intensely meaningful and helpful way. So prepare our hearts, O God, for what you would speak to us tonight in this, that our lives may reflect the goodness of our King and your plan for our lives. And so we ask you to bless your word now, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, David is absolutely at the apex of his uh, life, of his ministry, of the plan that God has for him. You can really look at David's life as being in three segments. There's the uh, ascension as he kind of comes to this place. And then there is uh, the establishment as he is now there. He is humming. Everything is working on all cylinders. Uh, everything he touches is blessed. Everything is, is glory and uh, it's good. And then it will then descend into the third part, which we'll talk about later. We don't want to kill the mood here tonight. Uh, That's what we see when we get to chapter 11, and that's when things kind of unravel for David. But here at this point, we're seeing David, a man, just increasing. He is growing. He is blessed. Everything he touches. There's a time stamp on the chapter right here at the very beginning. In verse 1, we're greeted with the words, it says, and after this. And that is intentional. It is in connection therefore, to what was done previously. And so the question is, what is this that the events of this chapter come after? And the answer to that is an interaction that David has just had with God. David had a desire 
He wanted to build a temple for the Ark of the Covenant, for the name of the Lord in Jerusalem. And so he had a conversation with a prophet whose name was Nathan, asking if he would run it by God and if that was okay that he would build that temple. So he has a desire and a request. And then that answer from God came through Nathan, which was actually a no. God said, you can't do that because I've got that planned for someone else. But in God giving that answer, God also gave David a blessing and a promise. He said, no, you can't do what what you want to do, but let me tell you what I'm going to do for you. And then he lays out for David all of the things that we saw or that you can go back and read in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, really a highlight uh, in David's life and in world history. But then David, in the close of things, he then goes back and he prays for the things that God promised. And you would think, well, why would you pray for the things that God promised? If God said he's going to do it, then just go on your merry way. But David realizes that what God has said is so important and it's so huge that I need to get my heart in line with what God said. Because the desire that I I have and the direction that I want to go is different from what God is saying he has for me. And so I'm going to adjust and bring my desires and my path in line with what God's plan is for me. So David prays to the Lord and says, okay, God, I want what you want. So you do in my life what you want to do. Now, I love chapter seven that we studied last week. And and there is this, uh, there is this um, undertone of humility that kind of pulses through that whole chapter. There is humility, first of all, in David, because David was the king, and he could do whatever he wanted. But in humility, David consulted with a prophet to see if what he wanted to do was in line with what God would want. He realized that though I'm the king, I don't have all the answers, so I'm going to talk to people that do. That's a humble thing for a king to do. It was also humble for Nathan the prophet. Because at first, Nathan said, go ahead. But then God spoke to Nathan and said, hey, not so fast. Do you want to talk to me about this? And Nathan, in humility, had to go back to David and say, I spoke a little bit too soon. And let me correct and let me tell you what God actually wants to do. And then there was humility again in David for David to receive the no answer from God and then to adjust his course and frame his life around the word that was spoken by Nathan. And I want you to hear that again. To frame his life around the word that was spoken by Nathan. That requires a whole lot of humility because it means I'm changing course. I'm making an adjustment according to the revelation that was just spoken over my life. And I say that because humility in the people of God is essential. What is humility? Humility is basically honesty and realism about our size and ability, right? It's just being real with the fact that we are finite, imperfect creatures that don't know everything and can't do everything. And we need humility if we're going to make it in this world, especially if we're going to make it in the kingdom of God, because we don't have all of the intelligence or ability that we need to thrive on our own, okay? 
we all in here have desires, things that we want. We all have plans. We all have hopes. Those are universal truths for humanity. But what we don't have is perfect knowledge and perfect vision. We can't see the big picture. We can only see a little bit of what's going on around us. I was sharing with uh, one of my daughters, my younger daughter, uh, this week. We were just talking about life and the way God works. And she was kind of asking about my employment history, you know, how I started out and, you know, kind of moved through over the past 20 years, all the various things. And I told her, you know, it's an interesting thing to be able to look back and see the various rungs on the ladder that you step on as you're, you're getting to where you're going. And I said, one of the things that I, I realize is how important it is to just commit your life to God. And then trust him because you cannot see the consequences of your decisions perfectly. It's like when a rock is thrown into a a peaceful pond or lake, the ripples go out in a 360 degree direction. And you can only see so, so much. So you think, well, if I do this, it's going to go blah, 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 blah. But what you can't see is what's going to happen in your blind spots. And so you cannot make perfect decisions apart from the counsel of God. And so humility is an essential to be in a frame of mind where we say, God, I want what you want for my life because I know that you see what I can't. And that's an essential thing, and thankfully, David has it. Now, what did God do? God spoke a blessing over David's life. But none of what God spoke over David's life has come to pass yet. All of it has to do with future things that will unfold for David as he moves along. Okay? That's what we saw in chapter 7. That's the after this, the event that took place before. It was God speaking blessing over his life. But what David realized, and you need to listen to me here because this isn't just review. Okay, David realized that he had more than a space to fill in seeing those blessings worked out. He had a role to play, meaning that it wasn't just God saying, hey, David, sit down, buckle up and enjoy the ride because wait till you see what I'm about to do. Just relax and watch it happen. That wasn't it. David realized if I'm going to receive what God has spoken over my life, then I've got something to do with it, and I need to position myself and move in the direction of what God has now said. This isn't going to come sitting down. I have a role to play in the whole thing, okay? So what David did is that David moves into the space of that blessing before the blessing materializes, He says, if this is going to happen, then I've got to do something. So David framed his life according to the word that was spoken by Nathan. He realized, this is God's plan for my life. And so he says, God, make this now the direction of my life to fulfill it. Okay? That's why we read in chapter 8, after this, 
all the things that David did. He went and he subdued the Philistines. Then he measured and thinned out the Moabites. Then he took back territory from the Syrians all the way to the Euphrates River and then went up against the Syrians of Damascus and took on the Edomites. And he continued to move because he said, God, if this is what you've got for my life, then that means that there's something in it for me to do. Well, you ask the question, you say, okay, that's great for David, but what does that have to do with me, and why is it in the Bible? Because there's one thing that I have learned about God, and I can almost, I've not seen heaven, but I can almost tell you about heaven, is that there will be no trophies in heaven. There are no trophy cases in heaven. There are only crowns. Trophies speak of past accomplishments. Crowns speak of present identity. And God is not interested so much in what happened in the past as he is in what that has made you into today. And we see crowns in heaven, meaning that God isn't interested in just putting up, this is what I did for David. He wrote these things down, the New Testament tells us, as examples for us. Meaning that if God did it for David, God wants to do it for us. Okay, now listen to me very carefully here. God has pronounced blessing over your life in the same way that he pronounced blessing over David's life. Only it didn't come, it doesn't come through a prophet named Nathan. It comes through the Bible which God says is more sure than the word of a prophet. First Peter chapter one, or sorry, second Peter chapter one, verse 19 says that we have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto we do, do, do take heed to, or do well to take heed to it. And it's speaking of the word of God. You say, well, what is the blessing that God has spoken over our lives individually for us? It's in Ephesians chapter one, and it's in verse three. And I want you to listen to it because this is what God declares to you. He says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Do you see that it's in the past tense? It's not that he will bless. It's not that he's gonna. It's that he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, I'm going to read more of that later on, but let me tell you what, what, what the Bible goes on to tell you what that blessing is. This is what God has done for you. This is it. He has given you, I'm sorry, first of all, forgiveness. God has forgiven your sins. He's blessed you by washing away every iniquity as far as the east is from the west. He has also chosen you specifically by name and by identity. He saw who you were and he chose you to be, number three, accepted in him. He accepts you. He goes on to say that he has given you already, he has blessed you with wisdom and with prudence. That means an understanding of what to do and then the real-time ability to navigate decision-making in such a way as to apply that wisdom in your life on a day-to-day -day basis. And then finally, Paul says that he has given us an inheritance. And that is specific and unique to you. That's for you to discover. It's something that God has laid out before you. It's for you, okay, an inheritance. That's 
in you now and that will stay with you into eternity. So the Bible says that you are blessed. Now listen to me. For David in our text and in his life, God's will for him is that he was the ruler of a physical kingdom that had physical promises and it was a physical land. But for you and I, for us, we are part of a spiritual kingdom with spiritual promises in a spiritual land. That's why Paul says that he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places with Christ. It's a different kind of a kingdom. We are citizens of a higher kingdom than David was, and we have the privilege of being ruled by a higher law than David was. But we are blessed like David nevertheless, okay? So Ephesians 1, and there's other places in the New Testament, but Ephesians 1 is the blessing of God spoken over your life, not by the prophet, but by God himself, okay? So the question is this. What does it mean for you and I to now walk in and move in and frame our life around the word that is spoken by God over our lives? Because that's what David does with the blessing that was pronounced over him. He says, okay, God, if this is what you're going to do, then this is how I'm going to move. So for you and I, we say, God, if this is what we are, and this is what is mine, then what then shall my life look like? How do I do it? Now, I want to look at what David did because it gives insight for you and I into how we also then walk in it. That's why it says, after this. It is a connection between the blessing and then the response of David. What did David do? A couple things. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. The first thing that David did is that he subdued the Philistines. Verse 1. He subdued the Philistines. It said, it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them, and he took Methig Amma out of the hand of the Philistines. Well, who were the Philistines? The Philistines were the sworn enemy, the great thorn in the side of Israel, and the great threat to their existence and their progress as a people. The word Philistine or the name Philistine literally means foreigner or someone who is in the land, someone who is taking up space in the territory, but they're not supposed to be there. Now, again, for David, that's physical. It's literal. The Philistines were foreigners that were in his land. But for you and I, it's spiritual. And there are things that get into our promised land, things that get into our lives, into our spiritual inheritance, enemies, foreign things that don't belong there that are a threat to our existence and absolutely a hindrance to our progress, okay? For David, the Philistines were foreigners inhabiting. But for us, the Philistines represent foreign things that are habiting in our lives. Do you understand? Things in our lives that are habits, habiting in us, that don't belong there, okay? And you know what they are for you. Sometimes it's just the, 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 the continual desire to buy things. 
to find satisfaction in just obtaining more, hitting the release button by spending a little bit of free cash that keeps coming in the mail. You know, I'll just buy things and it fills me up. It's a, it's a habit. It's hindrance. There are many things. Sometimes it can just be eating things or indulging in things or watching too many things. It's just things, that foreign things that got in, that get in, that are hindering us, and we know that they're hindering us. So what did David do? He said, if I'm going to move in what God has for me, then I have to subdue the foreign things. They've got to be put down. The word subdue, interestingly, it means to humble It means to put it in its place, to put it underneath. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, he said this. He said, I personally, he said, I keep my body under. That's what Paul said. And I suppress it. I subdue it. The desires, the foreign things of my flesh. And I bring it into subjection. I make it serve me, not me serve it lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul realized, I know that if I let the inhabiting things take control of my life, then I am going to be shipwrecked in the plan and purpose that God has for my life. The Philistines must be subdued. It's interesting to me there that it says in verse 1 that they took methegama out of the hand of the Philistines. You know what methegama means? It means the mother city. You know, do you, do you ever say, like, that's the mothership, right? The, you know, and that, that speaks of that's the one that has control. That's the thing that has influence in my life. And when habits get a hold of us, they become the mothership. They become the things that control our thoughts, our desires, our ambitions, our goals. They take our energy. They have control in our life. And listen to what David did. David took, okay, the mother city, and he put it under the father's control. And that is what you and I are called to do. That is what God will empower us to do when he speaks blessing over our lives, is that we are to take the things that are foreign in us, and by the power of God, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we take what God has given to us and we remove and suppress and subdue those things that would rule over us. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 talks about besetting sins that easily beset us. It is so easy for a foreign thing to grab a hold of the affections and control that are in us. You say, how do I know if something is a Philistine in my life? I will tell you, if it causes shame, if it steals your peace, if it causes you to lose a sense of God's presence, if it kills your boldness to pray, or if it keeps you from moving forward in the things of God, it is a Philistine in your life, and it is called to be subdued. Listen to me carefully. The blessing of God in your life is both the power to subdue that Philistine and it is also the promise of the good that will come if you do. That is the blessing of God. He will give you the power to do it and he gives you the promise of the good that will come into your life if you do it. But you still have to fight the battle and subdue. You have more than a space to fill. You have a role to play.
in what God has called over your life. Secondly, David not only subdued the Philistines, but he also thinned out the Moabites. You notice again in verse 2. It says that he smote Moab and he measured them with a line, casting them down to the ground, even with two lines measured he to put to death and one full line to keep alive. So David goes and he goes into Moab and he says, everybody line up. And all, you know, all the men of Moab, they have to do that because David is stronger. And so they all line up and he says, get up in lines. And then he counts off and he goes, count off by threes. One, two, three, one, two, three. He says, all the ones and twos, raise your hand. They raise your hand. David says, kill them all. And all the ones and twos die and the threes get to stay alive. You say, well, why did David leave the threes? You know what I mean? He has the ability here to just capitalize them. I'll tell you why. Because God declared through Moses that Moab was not to be destroyed. It's Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 9. It's going to go up on the screen, I hope, because I don't have a post-it note in that segment, and I want to read it to you. It says this. It says that the Lord said unto me, Moses speaking, distress not the Moabites, neither contend with them in battle, for I will not give you of their land for a possession, because I have given our, or Moab, unto the children of Lot for a possession. In other words, God says, you are not to destroy the Moabites, I am have put them there and they serve a purpose for me. However, you are not to be controlled by them. You are to control them. So they are not to be destroyed or removed, but they are to be controlled. Now, the word Moabite literally means of their father. And if you know where the Moabites came from, you understand why they're named of their father. I'm not going to tell you right now because it will gross you out and distract you. But if you want to find out, you can read Genesis chapter 19 and you'll find out where the Moabites came from. And they were of their father. Okay? (laughs) Don't be distracted by it. (laughs) All right? Now, for David and the Moabites, the relationship that they had physically, all right, there were things that were descended down from generations that were a shame to their family history that were, for David, a thorn and a frustration. And David realized, if I let the Moabites alone, if I let the things that are just descended down from father, from the earthly father, if I just let those things alone, David said, I'm not going to be able to go as far as I would otherwise. And so I am going to control those things and make sure that they don't dominate me. And so he measured them, mark that word in verse 2, he measured them, and then he thinned them out by two-thirds, removing their threat and their influence. Now listen to me, because you say, well, what does this have to do with us? Here's what. There are things in our life that we have inherited from our father, not God, but from our earthly fathers, from generations of those that have gone before us. There are things in our life that are a part of our personality, of our very person that cannot be removed. There are certain elements in who we are that no matter how much we hate them and how much we pray that they would go away, they're not going away because they're just stuff that's in us. It's in the registry. It's intermixed in all that we are. However, we are not to just give in to those things. We're to understand them. We're to measure them. And then we're to thin out the ranks of them that they don't grow up and overpower us. 
there was a moment that I had, and by moment, I mean it was a season uh, several years ago that I, I felt kind of stuck. I was just in a place where I was in a funk and I was kind of lost and it was, it was just kind of a scary time. And I don't know if you've ever had a time like that where you just didn't, you kind of felt like you were walking in circles and didn't know what you were doing. And, and, and so I, I finally got frustrated and fed up with feeling that way and waiting for something to happen. And so what I did is I kind of measured some things. And what I did is I took out a bunch of index cards, and on each index card, I just wrote one element of my personality, you know, uh, of the way that I am. And there were some things that were good, and there were some things that were bad, you know, and I tried to be really honest with myself because I wanted to get unstuck, you know, and I wanted to understand what I was struggling with. And so I wrote some things down, and some of the things that I had to write down, being honest, okay, in the bad thing, is I had to write lazy on one of the cards, is that naturally, I have a tendency to be lazy. I had to write on another one, I had to write procrastinator, that I have a tendency to put things off and not be proactive with what needs to be done. I had to put introverted on a card. It's just a part of who I am. It's a part of what's in me. It's the way I'm wired. It's what I am. I'm an introvert, okay? I had to write another, that I'm a taker, that I'm more of a taker than I am a giver, that that's a part of what, and I just measure out all these things. And then I had to, to just look at those things and be like, well, this is why I'm all messed up. <laughs> you know, I've got all these things, you, you know, and, and no matter what, like, this is just part of what I am. So here's what I did. I, I went before the Lord with, with these things, like Hezekiah spread out his letter before God. I'm probably red right now because I feel embarrassed, but, but, I, I'm, but this is what I did. I, I just prayed and I said, okay, God, like, this is, this is truth about me. And this is keeping me back. Like, this is killing me. And I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do about it. So I just committed to you right now and ask that you remove or change or help. Okay? Now, let me tell you the honest to God truth about me today. I am still naturally lazy. I am still naturally a procrastinator. I am the king of all introverts. Okay? And by nature, I am still a taker. But what I have learned to do in measuring those things, in seeing what they are, is that I have learned to build systems in my life to not let those things define who I am or what I do. So I have learned that I need to be extra proactive because if I procrastinate, things will never get done. I have learned that I cannot give in to even one ounce of laziness. I have learned how to not be an introvert when I cannot be an introvert. And I have learned the value of giving over taking. Now, that does not mean I get it right every time. That does not mean I don't have a to-do list at home of things that I am procrastinating getting done. I am not telling you that I have beaten this thing. What I am telling you is that there are Moabites in the land. There are Moabites in your land. And if you want to break out of the funk that you are in, you might have to measure the Moabites and thin out the ranks by building some systems and being honest with God about what's really going on inside of you. That's what David did, and he was prosperous because of it. Okay, here's the point. The point is this, is that the blessing of God in your life is both the power to thin out the Moabites 
and the promise of the good that will come to your life when you do. That is the blessing of God in your life. What else did David do? We're told next that David took territory from the king of Zobah. Not only did he subdue the Philistines and thin out the Moabites, but then David took territory from the king of Zobah. Verse 3, it says that David smote also Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobah, as he went to recover his border at the river Euphrates. Okay, so David, what he did is he did this. He went and he, prob- he was a man of God. He was a man of the word. And he realized or was told or he read that God promised Abraham that when he gave him the promised land, the land over which David is king, that the borders of that land would extend from the Red Sea all the way to the Euphrates River. And David looked at the map, and he saw the borders of what they presently controlled, and he realized, hey, we are a long way from the Euphrates River. We are not possessing all that God promised to us when he spoke to Abraham. Now, it's interesting to me that there in verse 3, it says that he went to recover the border because they never had it. It wasn't like they were like, well, remember when, the, remember when the borders were all the way? Remember the good old days when, you know, we need to get back to that. It, 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 there was no back to that. They had never possessed that. So David looks at it and he goes, why is someone else living in the blessing that God has promised to us? And we're not. And he said, no, if God promised something, then that means God is going to give to us what he promised. Let's go get it. Let's go take it. And so he gathers his men. They go and they do it. They, they, they take down the, the land of Zobah, this king, and they take the border of it. All right. Now, David's mentality was promised territory is my territory. So I'm going to go get it. I'm going to find out who has it. And then I'm going to go take it back. All right? You say, okay, let's bring this to now. What is this talking about? The promised land in the Old Testament equates to the promises of the new covenant. If God says he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and if Paul says to the Corinthians that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, then if I'm not walking in or living in something that God has promised, I need to ask the question, why not? Who's living in that land? Okay? The Bible talks about, Jesus said that my joy will be in you. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. Well, I don't have joy. That's a promise that's been given to me by God. Paul talked about rejoicing in Christ while he was in prison. He had joy while his circumstances were awful. I don't have joy. So if that part of my territory is not being possessed by me, who has it? Why is it there? Who's living in joy land for me? Is it guilt? Is guilt doing it? Am I failing to appropriate the forgiveness and the victory that's been given to me in Jesus? And I'm living in guilt and it's stealing my joy. Is shame living on it? Is defeat living on it? Why am I letting something else occupy the space that is supposed to be experiencing joy within me? 
The Bible talks about strength. The Bible declares, and it says that God gives power and strength to his people. Well, I feel like I'm constantly living in a state of weakness. So if strength is something that's been promised to me by God, and I'm living in perpetual weakness, then who's living in strength? What is taking that from me? The Bible talks about a sound mind. Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said that he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So if I don't have a sound mind, if my mind is spinning in circles constantly all the time, if I'm always waffling back and forth, if I don't have clarity in my thoughts, then who is living in that space? Well, that's an easy one. I ask you the question, what are you filling your mind with? Because whatever you're filling your mind with, that's occupying the space of your mind. And if it's causing you to lack clarity, then you need to get it out. What about your identity? The Bible talks about you having identity in Christ that he defines and declares who you are. And if you feel like you don't know who you are or there's a lack of identity, I ask you, why? Who's living in that land? And part of what David did is that he searched out and he said, God, what is it? If I'm going to spiritual blessings in heavenly places, if I'm going to possess it, then what does it look like? And if I'm not living in it, why not? And let's go get it. Here's the point. The point is this, is that the blessing of God is both the power to take the territory that he has promised and the promise of the good that will come into your life if you do it. Do you notice or did you notice when we read the chapter that every single time David did something, whether it was subdue the Philistines or measure the Moabites or take down Zohar or the Edomites, did you notice that every single time all of the spoil that was being held by those things was immediately added to David, to his kingdom and his experience? Every single time. And every time we say, okay, God, this is what you've declared over my life. And this is the direction that I need to move in order to walk in that. And we take those steps. We immediately see the benefit of God and, and, and of those things in our life. What were the results of David? You, you, you can go on. It's more of the same. And, and I could, you know, we could go through every verse and every exploit. But you get the idea of what David was doing here. He was taking what God said is his. And he was doing it proactively. What were the results? Besides the peace that came from removing those threats, which, by the way, did you know when you get things out of your life that aren't supposed to be in your life that there's an immediate peace that comes <laughs> when you do those things? That would have been enough. And not only did the substance add to him in every instance, but it tells us in verse 13, if you look over at it, it says that David got him a name. And I want you to mark that. David got him a name. And here's why that's significant and why that's important. Because back in chapter 7, where the promise was given, in verse 9 of chapter 7, God said to David, I have given you a name like the great men of the earth. That's what, that's what God said. He said, I already have given you a name like the name of the great men in the earth. But that wasn't fulfilled until chapter 8, verse 13. God said, I've already done it, but David didn't catch up to it 
until he subdued the Philistines, measured the Moabites, took down Zobah and the Syrians, and the 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Saul. You see, God says, I have blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he says, this is what I've done for you. I've forgiven you. I've accepted you. I've given you an identity. I've filled you with wisdom and prudence to know how to live, and I've given you an inheritance. It's already done. It's yours. Now go get it. Now go do it. And you will see that what I declared over your life previously, you're going to catch up with it as you walk in the ways that I have set before you. That is my will for your life. It's what I'm going to do. It also tells us that God preserved David wherever he went. It says that twice. That he didn't die in the battle or in the fight. It didn't kill him to break the addictions. It wasn't overwhelming for him to make the changes that need to be made or to fight the battles that need to be fought. God was with him in the middle of it. And then finally, we're told at the close of the chapter, it says that David had a healthy administration. You look at the people that were around him, And they were good people that were loyal to David and stuck with him throughout the tenure of his reign. And it tells us that even his family, his sons, were leaders or rulers in his kingdom. That's a healthy administration. When you have people around you that aren't your family and that you also can use your family and that that's a a, a part of what's going on within your kingdom. Okay, all that to say this, David is in the sweet spot of his life right now. Because he's moving in the purposes and in the promise of God. And I am not going too far out on a limb to suggest that that is what every single one of us here wants for our life. How many of us want to wander? How many want to flounder? How many want to wonder? God, what do you have? Are you out there? Are you real? Is this word real? Is it for me? Or do we want to find the place where we are moving forward in him? Listen, the Bible declares that it is our identity. It is our birthright. It is the place we were made to be, to be moving forward in the things of God. I want to read you a verse from Hebrews chapter 4. And I want to let it sink in. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, and I think it will go up on the screen. It says, let us therefore fear. This is one of the times that the Bible says to fear, right? We all know that it says 365 times not to fear. There is something to fear. He says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left to us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now, the context of the rest is the promised land life. You can read Hebrews chapter 4 and you can see it very clearly. It's the very thing that we're talking about. Lest the promise of entering into something that God has promised, you should seem to come. What does that tell us? It says that it is possible for you and I to not experience something that God has given to us. So you say, well, how do we not let that happen? Thankfully, the Bible gives us the answer a few verses later. Hebrews chapter 4 and now verse 11. Notice what it says. It says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. What does that mean? It means that God has declared something to be so in your life. And we do not just take up space in watching that happen for us while we do nothing. We have a role to play and a direction to move in and work to do 
to take down Philistines and thin out Moabites and kill whatever is living in the territory that is promised us from God, whatever those things might be that are in our lives. And we walk towards what God has called us to live in. That is what the Bible tells us to do, to enter into that rest. We're going to close the service now, and here's what I want to do. I want to ask you all to stand. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read to you from Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to begin in verse 3, and I'm going to read down through verse 14. And if you want to, you can close your eyes. If that's weird for you, you don't have to. But I want you to hear what God says over your life, and I want you to listen to the blessing that God declares over your life as though David were standing in front of Nathan and hearing what God says, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is what is yours. This is what I've promised you. This is God's promise, God's declaration to you that believe in his son, Jesus. He says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he has chosen us in him, you are chosen by God in Christ before the foundation of the world that you should be holy and without blame before him in love. He has declared and made the way for you to be declared holy and to be blameless before him in his love. Having predestinated us according to the adoption of children, meaning that he has adopted you into his family by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. He wanted to do it. He didn't have to. He could have overlooked you. He could have never made you. But he chose to make you. And then he chose to choose you and to forgive you and to save you and to adopt you into his family. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made you accepted in the beloved. You are accepted by God. You're not on probation. You're not hoping that you'll cross a few more lines and hopefully he'll then receive you or you'll make it or you'll get your you know, merit badge or another stripe. You are already accepted in the beloved. In whom we have redemption through his blood. He's purchased our lives from destruction. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He will give you what you need in order to get through this life. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. Meaning that what awaits you is an eternity in heaven where all things are gathered in his name. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance that's unique and individual to you. God has a plan. He has a call. He has a purpose. He has something that he wants to do with your life, in your life, and through your life that is unique to the personality that he's given you, the desires, talents, and gifts that he's given you. It is something that is for you. It's an inheritance in him that has been predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Just like God said to David, I have given you a name. I'm going to do this with your descendants. 
Your name will live on for generations and throughout all of eternity, your throne will not cease. God declares that there's an inheritance for you. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom also you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God gives you his spirit to work these things in you, which is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. That's what God declares over your life. He's forgiven you. He's chosen you. He's accepted you. He's imparted wisdom and prudence to you, and he's given you an inheritance. And I ask you to receive it in the same way that David received the word that was given to him from Nathan. Because the blessing of God in your life is both the power to do what he's called you to do and the promise of the good things that will come into your life when you do it. So take the word that God has spoken of your life and now do something with it. Amen? Father, we pray tonight as we have heard your word. We thank you, Lord, for the things that you've decreed and spoken. We thank you for the great provision, Lord, that's been given to us in the person of your son, Jesus. And right now, Lord, as we stand before you as your people on equal ground, Lord, we want to receive everything that you've spoken over us and to us. And Lord, we want to pray that where there needs to be adjustments made, where we need to pray in what's been spoken over us, that God, you would give us the clarity and the wisdom to do it. We ask, Lord, that you would reveal to each of us the Philistines that right now are a threat to our progress and to our, 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 our advancement in the things of you. God, that you would show us where the Moabites have gotten too strong and they're controlling us instead of us controlling them. And God, that you would show us very clearly not just what territory we're not living in tonight, but that you would show us, Lord, what is living in that territory and give us the power to remove it. So Lord, we're asking tonight not that we would try to act independently of you or do anything in our own strength, but we're praying that the power that lives in us by the person of your Holy Spirit, that Jesus, you in us, would move us into the fullness of what you've given. So help us, Lord, that there might be an after this in each one of our lives, that we would hear what you've spoken over us and then have it be said that after this, there was a difference, there was victory, there was change, that you, God, not us, but you fulfilled all that was spoken over us. So would you help us now, God? Would you fill us now? And I pray tonight, Lord, if there's anyone in this building, in this room, that doesn't know your salvation personally, that has never met you, Jesus, and never been redeemed, having their sins forgiven, entering into covenant with you, that, Lord, you would reveal yourself to those that have yet to come to know you, and that the power of your promise, of your kingdom, and of your Holy Spirit would get into their life as well. And so we ask you for these things tonight. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Thank you, Lord, for making such great promises for us. And thank you that you're able to do over and above all that we could ask, think, or imagine. So be with us now. Be with your church. We ask for your filling and your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's ask him to build our lives. 
Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.